Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships, faith, relationships, and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is one of my very best friends, Shannon Unger. Now, I could tell you so many things about Shannon, like how instrumental she's been in my faith or how whenever it would snow at night during our senior year of college, we would put on all of our snow gear and go play on the playground, which in case you were wondering, playing on the playground in the snow is actually really fun. But those are not the most important things you need to know about Shannon today. The thing you need to know about my dear friend Shannon Unger today is that she is a licensed professional counselor and a licensed addictions counselor who works with people through substance abuse, trauma, and relationship issues. I know, way, way more serious than romping around in the snow, but Shannon is a real expert and that's exactly what we need for what we're talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about relationships, how to know if you're in a healthy one, and what to do if you're not. Guys, I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time now, and before we jump into my conversation with Shannon, I wanted to give you some background as to why. So, twice a year, I teach an online course called Make the Most of Your Single Life. It's all about how to live this season while you're single with joy, contentment, purpose, and intentionality. It's about setting yourself up for an amazing dating life and paving the way for an even more amazing marriage. Yes and amen to that, right? This online course is one of my very favorite things that we do around here, and this seems like the perfect time to tell you that registration for the course is opening back up on September 10th. I really only teach this course twice a year, and so whether you're listening to this before September 10th or after, head to loveyoursinglelife.com to check it out. And make sure to put your name on the waiting list because we totally maxed out the course back in February, and so if you want to join us, make sure you sign up early. Guys, I love teaching this course. We cover so many topics in the span of five weeks, but as I've been teaching it these last few years, there's a topic that keeps coming up that I honestly do not have the expertise or the training to speak on. Now, a lot of the women who take the course haven't dated before, and a lot of them have had good, healthy relationships in the past, but that has not been everyone's story. There are a lot of women in our community, both here and in that course, who I know have been treated really poorly by men. Women who have been in unhealthy relationships in the past or who are there right now, and women who have been in abusive relationships too. Guys, this is such a real thing for so many of us. So many women in our community and all over the world have been in this place, and while I want to offer help and guidance and expertise and advice when people ask me about this, I'm just not the best person to give those things. That's why I wanted to bring on someone who is. I am so glad Shannon's here today. In this episode, Shannon teaches us how to know if our relationships are healthy or not. She's going to help us identify some red flags in relationships. She'll give us some things we should really keep an eye out for. She talks to us about abuse and domestic violence, and I learned that there are way more types of abuse than we normally think of, and she'll tell us all about that today, too. She talks to us about what we should do if we are in an unhealthy relationship. She tells us how to set ourselves up for healthy relationships in the future, and that is just the beginning. Guys, this is a hard episode. This is not a light one. We will have some extra light ones later in the season, I promise, but this is such an important episode. I'm really excited for this. You guys ready to dive in? Let's do this. Here's my conversation with Shannon. Guys, I'm so excited for what we have going on today. I am sitting here at my house with my dear friend, Shannon. Shannon has been one of my best friends for years now. I, How long are we going on? Are we like 
nine nine years, something like that. So a really long time. And Shannon and I are actually having like the epitome of a girl's night right now because we're both in our, like we woke up like this, literally we're both (laughs) still in our pajamas. Um, and we were sitting here in the guest room of my house, which is always where we record because it's not as echoey as the rest of my house, but we're actually here together because all of our best friends came out from Denver and they are staying with me for a week here in Nashville to celebrate all of our birthdays. So all of our friends are doing different things today and Shannon and I have just been cuddled up here at my house, um, hanging out and chatting and not like cuddling with each other, not cuddling with each other, more just like cuddling of like blankets and coffee and I wouldn't be opposed to it. No, it it would not be the first time. So yeah, so we've been hanging out here and we got started on this conversation and I just knew that you guys had to hear it. And so anyway, this super fun friends week, I cornered Shannon and now we're stealing her for a really quick podcast. (laughs) Um, But it's so fun because this is like truly like not just girls night, girls week. And I'm so happy to have you here in the flesh at my house, Shan. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, Okay. So before we get into anything, I, um, first of all, I feel like I should, we should tell them how we know each other. Yes. Um, so we both went to the University of Colorado together, and you and I met, if you guys have read The Lipstick Gospel, Shannon was help, was leading the mission trip that, my very first mission trip that I went on to Costa Rica. You were leading it with Michelle, who was the one who originally, like, talked me, duped me into going on a mission trip, and with Laura, who they're also going to meet this season on the podcast. Awesome. But, so Shannon and I became, like, basically instant best friends on this mission trip, and that is just... And we're off in the sunset together. Here and we are, nine years later. Been together ever since. We've been together ever <laughs> since. So, Shan, can you just take a second and tell us who you are, what you do, and then I'm putting you on the spot to ask you a fun fact, and I don't know what this is, so I'm really <laughs> excited about this. <laughs> um, yeah, my name's Shannon. I am a, uh, like what I do professionally is I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a licensed addictions counselor in the state of Colorado, so I work with... Um, I actually do court-mandated therapy, so I do therapy with people who have gotten in trouble for various things, and instead of going to jail, they try to get them rehabilitation and treatment, and so I do the treatment. So, no big deal. Really small. (laughs) Really not intense at all. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And, Shan, you were also telling me that the counseling center where you work, Mm -hmm. um, you guys also do a lot with domestic violence, right? Yeah, so we have basically two different types of counseling that we do. We do domestic violence counseling, and then we do um, substance abuse counseling. And within that, there's a huge kind of variety of things that we do. Um, So we do a lot of trauma work. Obviously, we do a lot of, you know, abusive relationships work. We do a lot of different things that have happened throughout people's lives that kind of lead them to the point where they're at. Mm -hmm. And then work on kind of addressing some of the underlying issues so that our jails are less crowded. Oh, that's Again, like really not a big deal, not important, not cool. Yes. Thank you for the work you do. Thanks. Okay. So tell us a fun fact. And I actually am going to add to your fun fact and add another fun fact oh, gosh. afterwards. So, I'm so nervous about yeah. <laughs> So just let all those butterflies go as you get ready to see what I'm going to reveal. Okay. Go ahead. What's your um, fun fact? Okay. My fun fact is that when I was a child, um, my brother and I were models for Target. So we were baby models. <laughs> My brother actually was like a bigger deal than I was. He was older. Whatever. No, he was. He had my brother had like headshots, oh my like full blown baby headshots. And he, so when he um, started dating his now wife, he signed an old headshot and framed it and gave it to her. Yes. And his in laws' first impression of him was seeing the signed framed headshot in her room. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
And they're like, this guy is a piece of yeah. work. They're <laughs> like, are you sure? You <laughs> him? This guy, this guy? Okay, so we have a famous baby model yeah, in I have our a picture. midst. You do. Do you have it on you? I have it on my Instagram. Oh, you guys, we're going to have to share this. Oh my gosh. This is the cutest thing. You are actually on the target. Like, is this like, oh my gosh. Okay guys, we're going to have to share this. When this episode comes out, I will get this photo for you so you can see it. They are so cute. Shannon brought props. I love that. You're the first person to bring props. Um, okay. So Shannon, my fun fact for you is that when Shannon and I became best friends, it was towards the end of college. And it was really like our second semester senior year when we became best friends, which I always talk about you when I'm talking about friendship with people, because mm-hmm. I think we have this idea that you walk in freshman year and the first person you meet mm-hmm. has to be your best friend and in your wedding and all these different things. You and I met like towards the end of college mm-hmm. when most people would say like, that ship has sailed. That ship has not sailed anywhere. <laughs> like, No, most of my friends that I've kept are people I met. At the end of college. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then also, I mean, like, I know you've made tons of great friends after college and Mm -hmm. so have I, but, like, if you're a freshman in college and you're feeling like, I haven't met my person yet, like, Mm -hmm. one, you have all of college, two, you have the whole rest of your life. Like, that shit is not sales. (laughs) So Shannon and I became best friends second semester senior year, and as we're watching, like, graduation approach, we're realizing that there were some things we hadn't done at the University of Colorado. And so we made like a, a pre-graduation bucket list of things we wanted to do. And there were just a handful of things. So one of them was that there's a bowling alley in our student center at the University of Colorado that we had never been to. And so we decided to go bowling. I think that we maybe wanted to drink a beer there because that's like the only place on campus they sell beer, right? So like, I think we like split a beer and went bowling or something. So we like, this was a wild list of things we wanted to do. We also hadn't gone swimming in the (laughs) swimming pool at the University of Colorado. They have like an indoor, it's like where the diving team practices and stuff. And so we went and we decided we wanted to swim in there with like floaties. So there are some really epic pictures, which... Not like the cool floaties that people now have that are like the big cool ones. Like pizza ones or something you bring to a bachelorette party. Like arm floaties. Like water rings. (laughs) (laughs) So... Shannon and I, as seniors in college, went swimming at the University of Colorado in the pool with water wings on, and we have pictures, which I'm probably going to have to unearth now, now that I said that there were pictures. So anyway, it just, we had, a, we had a really good bucket list going, and oh, we also went tubing at the local park in the middle, it was like, why was it? Snowstorm. It was in the middle of a snowstorm, and it was like dark outside, but we went like night tubing yep. and running around the playground. We just basically like re- revived our inner child, our senior year, and it was maybe the most fun I've ever had. Worth it. It was so fun. <laughs> up, up until this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm really happy about that. I'm really happy um, to have you here. And the reason I wanted to, to like sneak you away from everybody, everyone's kind of sightseeing around Nashville right now. Um, but we were just doing a little bit of work and, and hanging out and having a quiet morning. And, but kind of how this podcast came about is that we were sitting on my front porch drinking coffee this morning And, um, I was telling you guys about, um, an email I had gotten from like an old, old, old friend, um, who is going through something where she has a friend who's about to get married to someone who's like not good for her. Um, so I got this email and she's like, you know, I have this friend, she's about to get married to this guy. I know that it's not a healthy relationship. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell her or like if I should step in, you know, will she, am I like not helping her by, by not saying, Hey, I think some of the things you're telling me are concerning. Like, um, you know, what do I do about this? And so we got into this long conversation about how to know one, what to do if you have a friend who's in an unhealthy relationship. And I feel like a lot of the girls listening are like nodding, going, I have someone in mind. 
But I think the second question that may be also popping into their heads, which I know like we immediately talked about is how to know if your own relationship is healthy or not. Because mm-hmm. what we were talking about is that sometimes, a lot of times when you're in the relationship, you can't actually see what's going on. You don't have a, a great like vantage point to be able to tell whether something is healthy or not. Um, and so with Shannon having the background that she does and all the, I mean, she's sitting, we're sitting on the porch all in our pajamas and she's just dropping wisdom. And so that's why I was like, okay, so everyone, you guys go, we're going to record a podcast. <laughs> um, so Shannon, I'm, I really, that's what I want to talk about today is just to hear from you. Like what is normal in relationships? What's healthy? What's unhealthy? What should we be looking for as girls are dating and thinking about getting engaged or as they're engaged, engaged, looking towards their wedding? You know, what are some warning signs? What things are like, are, are not healthy or safe? And, and you have such a perfect vantage point to be able to speak to this from, um, because you like, cause you, cause this is what you do all the time. This is the work you do. Mm-hmm. So, The other thing I wanted to say about this is that as we're talking about this, we are talking about romantic relationships, but also you can be in unhealthy other kinds of relationships. And that's, I know that like, um, without, you know, throwing anyone under the bus, like that's both of our story Mm -hmm. is that, um, I've never been in a a abusive romantic relationship and you haven't either, Mm -mm. but we've both been in, in, um, other kinds of relationships with people like, you know, working relationships or friendships, or, you know, we're, we have lots of relationships in our lives with people who were, were unhealthy and manipulative. And so it's something that's like really tender for us also, um, in a different way. And also we have lots of people we love who have been really affected by every, you know, unhealthy relationships all the way down to like domestic violence. So all that to say, so I wanted to kind of hear from you, like, how do we know what, if we're in an unhealthy relationship, like what are some of the things that we look for. Like, so one of the things just to kind of get started, we, as we were talking about like who to choose and like, as you're thinking of getting married, Shannon was sharing with us this, there are four horsemen of, does he say of the apocalypse or That's bad what I call them, but I actually think they're four horsemen of the relationship of relationships. Okay. <laughs> so the four horsemen of the apocalypse relationships. But so Shannon was telling us, we're all sitting on the porch and she's telling us about these four things that are sort of hallmarks of unhealth in relationships. And so we're all sitting there like looking at our marriages being like, which one do we do? And so we each kind of picked which one like is kind of maybe our go-to. Um, but so let's maybe start with that, Shannon. I want to hear what the four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse <laughs> not the technical term. So it's actually from a like very well-known marriage um, counselor named John Gottman. He talks about that these are like four things that basically if they show up in your relationship, they're you're you're in a bad position. So it's not that they can't be changed. It's that when these things start to show up, they're the most likely predictors of um, divorce or relationships ending. And they're really hard for us to get out of the habit of. So there are things to for sure be on the lookout for. So there's four of them. The four are um, criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and defensiveness. Okay. So if you don't know what those are, criticism is essentially being constantly on someone. So there's a difference between like complaining about something or having issues in a relationship because we all know that you will. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's normal. That's normal. So complaining is like, hey, when this happens, I don't like it or it affects me or it impacts me. Mm-hmm. Criticism is basically putting it as someone's character. You always do this or this is like a fault of yours mm-hmm. um, as opposed to you do something that affects me. Yeah. Um, contempt is... So that would be like, not like um, you were late this one time, like, you know, that that's something that it bothers me or like, I you know, I feel disrespected when you're late or, you know, whatever the thing is. It's like, you're always late. You're always 
like you never pay attention to me. Like yes. you, you're always this kind of person. It's like a more of a personal attack. Yeah, and it's and it's like putting some intent behind it. Like you're being disrespectful, or you don't care about me, or yeah. okay. putting some sort of intent behind it, as opposed to hey, this happened, and yeah. I don't appreciate it or like it. And it's like a like because I mean I feel like everyone's like okay, I've totally done that before, but it's yeah. like a habit. It's like habitual. Yeah, it's like there's no attempt to fix it or attempt to change it, and it's a constant. Like I'm always. I'm always criticizing you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I think that can go that there's the hard thing with that is that can go two ways, right? If I complain about something and there's no attempt to fix it, I think that that is probably an issue, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, are my expectations realistic? Do I need to criticize you to keep bringing up the same complaint? Like what's my intent behind it? And also are like, can I work on like, so, so the person who's, who the complaints being leveled at needs to make an effort to change because we always need to like, continue to get to get better. And we're not automatically just good at loving people. We need to practice and like really take feedback and work on it. So that person needs to take the feedback, but then the other person it's like, yeah, do you have unrealistic expectations or like, are you, are you trying to make this person someone they're not Mm -hmm. like, so are you even in the right relationship? Or also like, is there a way that you could speak to your spouse that isn't quite so damaging or quite so demeaning? Like I remember a time in college when you had to approach me about the way, like I talked to you about something and I was like very hurtful. And so I think criticism would, or like a negative response would be me being like, well, you just need to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not sorry for how I said that. Yeah. And you need to figure it out. And so I think at that point, that's where like certain things start to build. Yeah. But, um, but what like, did you say? <laughs> like, I can't did, remember. I think happened? I said I was sorry. Yeah. Like, and that I would do better and I would try to like say things differently. But I think that that's, you know, for you, like that was the appropriate way to handle it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, this hurt my feelings and I have to bring it up in order for us to continue to have like a good friendship. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you don't care about me. Like that wasn't how you approached it mm-hmm. as all, at all. Right. Yeah. You came in with like, this hurt my feelings. This is what happened. And then we could try to resolve something. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So what's the second one? Okay. Um, contempt. So contempt is essentially what starts to happen when, with like constant criticism or with like kind of what we were talking about. If I'm like, if we're making, if there's things that are happening and we're not working on our relationship, I'm going to start to like become bitter towards you. Mm. So contempt is essentially talking about the same thing over and over and really building it up. And then I just almost start to dislike you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that comes out in the way I speak to you. That comes out in the way that we interact. That comes out in a lot of ways. I, we were talking about this this morning and like, this is maybe a silly example because I watch way too much HGTV. That's like totally my go-to, but there are these moments where a couple is talking to each other and they're on national TV. So it's like, how is this happening? But in, but you know, the wife will say to the husband or, or vice versa, like, in the, they have a criticism against the other person. And maybe it's like the husband starts all these projects, never finishes them. I feel like that's always the story. And sometimes the wife can be like kind about it and be like, oh, he just didn't have time to finish it. You know, we're just ready to move on to a different house. And sometimes the wife looks at him and goes like, you, like, it's almost like there's disgust in her voice. Mm-hmm. Like you never finish anything. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, and with her words, like, I feel like she like cuts him off at the knees, you know, just totally like, it just, it's, you can tell with the way that she speaks to him or vice versa that there's no respect there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of times content, contempt is like criticism that has built for so long that it's just like how you feel about the person. Yeah. And that's the number one predictor of divorce is contempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's rough and it's hard to notice because I think it builds gradually. I don't yeah. think you, no one gets married with contempt. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. 
Then defensiveness. I said that this was my worst one. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all, I think defensiveness is so easy to fall into. And I think we all know what it looks like, but it's essentially just immediately as if someone tries to talk about something difficult or tries to like even give us a criticism, maybe not criticism. What was, what was the word that I said? Hmm. Complaint. Complaint. (laughs) Someone tries to give us a complaint that we immediately are, we immediately like throw our walls up Mm -hmm. and we try to like push it back on them. Yeah. So it's either we start defending ourselves or we kind of, then that's when, that's when we go down like the slippery slope of like pulling in everything else that's ever happened. So Mm -hmm. someone's like, Hey, I hate it when you come home. And then they're like, well, you never do the dishes in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, wait a minute. That's not what we're talking about. (laughs) Those those seem like separate issues. Yeah. 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 Okay. So defensiveness. And then there was one more, right? Yeah. Stonewalling. Okay. This is what I said was mine. (laughs) (laughs) We all are like slowly raising our hands. (laughs) That's fine. Um, so stonewalling is like when, when issues come up or when you're in the middle of it and you start to like shut down. Mm -hmm. So, um, you like stop engaging, you stop responding, you stop, stop being present in the fight. Um, and really, like, that can look a ton of different ways. And I've never done this. But that could be you're in the middle of the fight and you, like, hang up the phone, mm-hmm. right? But it could also just be, like, we're in the middle of a fight and I get quiet. Or I'm no longer engaging. Or I'm not, like, you're fighting me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't have to be a part of it. Yeah. And what's dangerous about stonewalling is it's, like, a power move. That's what we talked about was it's this move of, of like, oh, well, I'm not fighting. You're fighting. Right? Or I'm trying to make you come after me more so than I am engaging. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel like these things are like, they're unhealthy, but these are, I feel like these things, it's like gone unchecked, you know, like over time, these things, because as you're talking about these things, I'm like, these are, these get in the way of healthy communication and conversation and resolving conflict, Mm -hmm. which is what you have to do if you're going to be in a relationship with Mm -hmm. someone. And so it's like the reason that I think these are so like, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong. The things that are the reason that this is so damaging is because it, it stops you getting through a conflict. It's like, it's a, it's a boulder you're unwilling to, that you put there or, you know, that you're unwilling to walk around. So as we're in healthy relationships, like these are things to keep an eye out for, or like, as we're in relationships, these are things to like recognize in ourselves that, okay, if I stonewall the person that I'm, you know, engaging with, like, that's not going to help us get around it. Like left unchecked for long enough, this could actually really end up destroying our relationship or defensiveness or, you know, complaining or, you know, different like contempt, especially. Yeah. I think the longer that I'm a counselor and the longer I think that I'm just a human, but the longer that I'm a counselor, I realize more and more that the expectation is not that I am perfect or the expectation is not that I like don't have issues. The expectation is that I constantly am trying to like address them and, and being aware of them and saying like, all of us have probably done all of these at some point in our life. Right. But the issue is when we are not able to address it or, or aware of it or even own it. Yeah. Right? Like I think there's some level of just being like, Hey, I'm not going to be healthy all the time and in every respect, but when I'm not, I'm, I'm open to changing it and I'm open to feedback that that's happening and I can own it and change it and say, I'm sorry and move on. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like this is like, these are like in relationships, like this is like kind of step one, like keep, keep an eye out for these things. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking, there were a handful of like kind of red flags that you had talked about, about things that like, these are kind of some hallmarks of unhealthy relationships. So as, as we're 
either walking into relationships or as we're getting ready to take the next step in relationship, or as we're looking at our relationship, wondering like, is this normal? These are some things that, that have been identified as this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like these are, these are some red flags. So can you just like, just shoot a bunch of them at us? Okay. Um, I mean, I think that there's a bunch of things that you should obviously be looking for, but I think some of the big ones are, um, you know, like extreme jealousy, extreme fear of cheating, extreme name calling, cursing, any type. If someone is calling you a name, that is not a place for a healthy relationship. So like extreme name calling or just name calling in general? Just name calling in general. Yeah. Okay. There should not be, um, there's no need for it. Right. And like, you can't take back words, but if you've ever gotten to the point where someone is calling you a name that has gone too far, right? That's not an act of care. Yeah. Okay. So name calling, cursing, um, if they don't take you seriously, if they don't take the things that are important to you seriously, if they don't listen when you're talking. And that doesn't mean all of these are like, obviously people make mistakes. So it doesn't mean like one time he was distracted when I was talking and therefore we need to be over. But it is, if this is a pattern where you're not listening when I'm talking or you don't care about things that are important to me, doesn't mean you have to like them, but you should care about them. Mm-hmm. If you don't make an effort with my friends or my family, if you try to take me away from my friends or my family, or you try to take me away from things that are good for me or important to me, mm-hmm. all of those are red flags. Yeah. One of the things that you, you asked a couple of questions, you know, as you're like, just kind of some reflection questions. Do you, do you remember those? Yeah. I mean, so some of the things I would always ask people to start with is just, you know, you want to critically think about your relationship. So Uh, thinking about what are things that I like about the person? What are things that I dislike about them? Are those things equal? Is it that I like that they have a cool car and I dislike their personality? (laughs) (laughs) Are those things equal or are they not equal? Are they materialistic? Are they personality related? What do their relationships with other people look like? What are their relationships with their family? And that's not always an indicator of health, but it's something to think about and to look at. I feel like sometimes, you know, in, in some of our past, like we have really broken families and those are mm-hmm. not a product of us. It's just mm-hmm. a product of where we come from. Um, and so you can have really broken, healthy people can have broken relationships, I think. Right. Yeah, totally. But yeah. if you, if you are looking at this person's past and they, it's like kind of this like graveyard of broken relationships or things like that, like those are patterns, right? Absolutely. And I think even if you have a broken family and a broken relationship, there's still something to be gained from looking at how do you treat this person, right? So if you, you might not have a good relationship with your mom, but that doesn't give you an excuse to call her names Mm -hmm. or to be um, like verbally abusive or to do any of those things. And so, you know, it's, yeah, you might have damaged relationships or you might have hard relationships and you might be distant or you might have things that have really, really harmed you. But looking at how do you engage with people around you is still a valuable thing because everything is like a microcosm of our life, right? And I always think about that with people when they come into my office or when I talk, meet new people just in general in life is like the way that you treat me now is how you treat other people outside of here, Hmm. right? And so it's, there's reality of that's things to look at. Yeah. How you treat your relationships, your friends, your family, that will be indicative of something. Yeah. doesn't mean it has to be, you have to be close or you have to be perfect. You have to have this beautiful life. It just means that the way that you engage in relationships, that's what I'm looking at. Well, and like, there's, um, man, all the the girls know this so well that I'm terrible at scripture references, but (laughs) oh my gosh, sorry guys. Um, but there's the scripture that talks about how out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like it's like your, what, what comes out of your mouth 
is coming out of the store of what's in your heart. It's, it's, it's a reflection of what's in your heart. And I feel like that's really true of like, you, there's also scripture that talks about like, um, how can, what is it? How can like clean water come out of the same place as salty water? What is it? It's, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. <laughs> let, let the record, let the record show that either I'm totally wrong or Shannon has gone to seminary and also doesn't remember. So we're equal. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Was that your justification? That's totally my justification. Is that on the list? Um, but um, we'll get there. Yeah. My gosh. Um, but that, like, it just it just is indicative of of what is in your heart. And so it's like, how can you like if if someone is cursing their mom or like you know calling someone names mm-hmm. or treating you know a server at a restaurant terribly totally. or something? It's like that's coming up out of their heart. And so mm-hmm. it's not like you have a separate compartment and this server has a separate compartment. Like it's it's that's, that's a reflection on who they are, um, how they treat anybody. Um, and that will come out in your relationship too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's reality of a lot of things we can understand why people do the way that they do. Right. If you have a bad relationship with your mom and you call her names or you treat her poorly to some extent, I think we can understand it. We can be like, yeah, I get why that happened. Right. They were abusive to you or they did this, but I think there's also reality of saying, but that doesn't make it okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Like just because, that happened to you doesn't make it okay for you to then do that to other people. And more so when we're talking about romantic relationships, it's like, that doesn't mean that I have to then get myself into it. Yeah. Right. Because you have the, this history and these patterns, which is I think hard to say. And sometimes we feel bad saying that, but I think there's reality of looking at that, of saying, Hey, you probably need to work on some of these things before we can have a good relationship. Not because you're a bad person, but because they're going to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So there were a couple other questions that you were reading off. I think I interrupted you. That's okay. Um, one of them is like thinking about, does this person encourage me to have relationships with my friends, my family members, coworkers, people outside of our relationship, Mm -hmm. or does he discourage it? Because is it a pattern in unhealthy relationships that they, that you're kind of isolated? Yeah. I mean, I think if, if someone isn't encouraging, one of my favorite things about your husband Mm -hmm. is that he, embraces all of our, all of us and like our craziness. And I think that that is such beautiful thing within regards of he wants you to continue to have those. He wants you to have good relationships with your family. He wants you to have good relationships with your friends. He doesn't try to impede any of those things and he's not threatened by them. Yeah. And I think when someone's threatened by you having relationships outside of yours, that doesn't speak to a very secure relationship. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. I didn't know you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) We love Stephanie's husband. Oh, I love that. Um, one thing that you said that really stood out to me was, um, like, um, you said, what are their interests without you? And what are your interests without them? Is that kind of the same thing that it's like kind of isolating you from other people? Why, why does that happen? Why would you, why would someone isolate you or why would you, why would, I mean, isolation I think is so that there's not like outside. I mean, I don't know that it's a hundred percent intentional, but I think it's a comes from, it could come from insecurity. I think it could come from a place of like you're easier contained and controlled if you Mm -hmm. have less things outside, which that's like strong words, but that's really what it is, right? If I'm trying to isolate you from things and then you're easier to control. Yeah. If I'm your only thing that you have in life or the only thing that matters or that's important, then what are you going to be without me? So you, yeah. So I know that you won't go anywhere. Yeah. I have to be dependent upon you. Yeah. And then I think interests, you know, like a very common term within counseling is codependency. And it's essentially this idea that we are, we need each other to be okay. Right. So I, 
I need you to feel okay about myself or I need you to dictate my life. And if you're gone, then I don't, what do I have? And so that's where like, we always talk about my company. I think you can honestly pick whatever numbers you want as long as they're somewhat normal. But we talk about 80, 20, 80, where I should be 80% myself, 20% us, 80% yourself. Like, so we have 80, we have this level of independence and I still have my things and you still have your things and we don't have to like everything each other likes. But and then we, you have the 20% that overlaps. Yeah, that overlaps or that we do together or that's our things. But we still have these areas of like independence and my own definition. And I have my own identity and you have your own identity and we have ours as a couple. Yeah. That's, I feel like girls might be like chewing that over a little bit because I think when, I mean, we talk about in scripture, like marriage, you like, you become one, but that like, that doesn't have to mean that you have all the exact same like hobbies and interests. And like you, that doesn't mean you are the exact same person. Right. And I think that when you look at healthy relationships, it doesn't mean that you're doing that, um, from a place of like rebellion against the other person, right? It's not like you don't want me to have anything, but I'm going to do these things. You're not like a teenager in this who's needs to be independent and do their own things. Yeah. You're a grown up who has their own interests and hopefully your partner would be someone who encourages that and wants you to explore that and wants you to do your own things. And you would do that for your partner. Yeah. You would want them to have their own interests and explore things and try things. Um, I've had a couple conversations with girls where they've said things like, you know, I can't wait to get married because I don't want to, I am tired of doing things by myself or like, um, I don't want to travel by myself or, um, you know, yeah, I don't want to go to lunch by myself or, or things like that. And, and some of those conversations are like, yeah, no, I totally, like, I totally get that. It's, it's really fun to get to be able to do things with another person. But in a couple of those conversations, it seemed to me like the person who was saying that thought that when you get married, every single thing you do is together. And that's not true. Like Mm -hmm. Carl and I travel independently of each other, not a ton, but we really do. We are not together 24 seven because we each have jobs. And so most of your eight, I would say 80% of your life is actually still separate. Mm -hmm. Even when you're married, like, because you don't necessarily work together. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, like Carl coaches lacrosse, high school lacrosse in the spring. And so he's gone a lot of weekends Mm -hmm. or he's gone at night. And like, so I have my own interests. He has his own interests. And so even if you're married, that does not mean that every single step of your life happens. Like it doesn't mean you're always constantly together. You still need to like be able to go out to lunch by yourself. You still need to be able to go out to dinner by yourself. You still need to know how to take care of yourself in some ways, because even when you're married and even when you're really connected that way, not every single part of your life is supposed to happen. Like you're not supposed to be glued to each other. Yeah. Well, and I think like there's beauty in that, right? Where you're not completely insecure when Carl's not around, mm-hmm. right? Or that I'm not, um, I'm not waiting for you for my life to begin. Yeah. Right. So I just sit at home and I wait for you to be done with work so we can go out to dinner. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I feel like you even have more to talk. Like if if you do. Mm worked because the first like half of mine and Carl's relationship, we did work together. Mm -hmm. And so we were like in the same room constantly. (laughs) And it's funny because at the end of the day, you do have, you have less to talk about. You Mm -hmm. have less to kind of bring to the table that the person hasn't seen before. Mm -hmm. And so by having these hobbies and interests and passions, either before, like, you know, and this is, you know, whether you're single or dating or like when you're married too, uh, by having these, this life that you're really living, that's full that's not happening at the, like with this other person, you have so much more to offer them so much more to totally. show them and bring them and share with them. That's what I was thinking is like, of course there's reality. Like there was, that was good for you guys to some degree. And there was some beauty in you guys working together in the beginning, but it's also, then you have like this share, you have shared conflict, right? Like the person we're annoyed at at work is the same person. And we just build <laughs> off of each other. Yeah. It's like, yes. No, there, it's all emotion and there's no logic. Yeah. There's like, no one like talking down. <laughs> like that's not fair. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I'm trying to, there was one other thing. Oh, there were two other questions that you asked, three other questions that I want to bring up. You said, do you have equal decision-making power in your relationship? Um, you also asked, how do you handle conflicts? Um, and then the last one that you said that really stood out to me was, um, since you've been in this relationship, do you feel about, do you feel better about yourself? Worse, worse about yourself or the same? Do you, and you said that actually with that last question, the feeling better about yourself being in the relationship could actually like, it could be a red flag, whether you say you feel better or you feel worse. Can you like talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think that doesn't mean that you should like look for a relationship that makes you feel super mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that if you're waiting for someone else to make you feel better about who you are, you're waiting for a, something that like someone else just probably can't offer you right? Expecting someone else to be my source of self-esteem and how I feel about myself is a lot of weight for someone else to carry. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of responsibility for someone else to be, to have over your life. Um, and so I think that that's where that piece of, do they make me feel better about myself? Now, do they make me happier? Great. Do they, um, add something to how I, to my life that I already, that was already great? awesome. Mm-hmm. But that idea of like how I feel about myself is dependent upon you can get very dangerous. Yeah. And if you feel worse about yourself since being in a relationship, like that should be a red flag. Yeah. Just in terms of it's again, goes back to that concept of I'm letting someone, that concept of I'm letting someone else define how I feel about myself. Yeah. Something that you talked about is like, uh, you said that there are three different kinds of love. Um, mm-hmm. can you talk about that a little bit? And then there was, um, you had a a definition of the third one that I thought was really good. Yeah. So basically the three types of love, I mean, everything within counseling, there's going to be tons of different theories, but this is one that there's three types of love. There's romantic love, there's nurturing love. So romantic love is like partners. Nurturing love is kind of like that could be with partners, but it could also be with parents to kids or Mm -hmm. other relationships within that. And then there's addictive love. An addictive love is essentially this cycle that we find ourselves in where I need the other person, mm-hmm. right? I, um, I feel incomplete without them. I feel insecure without them. I feel like I won't be okay if they're not in my life. And it leads to this almost fear of losing the person and not a, not a healthy fear, right? I think that there's some reality of we all don't want to lose people that we love, right. but this is a sense that if they are not in my life, I will not be okay. And therefore I will put up with whatever they have to give because I can't not have them. So I, I'll put up with any level of, I might not feel good in the relationship, but I can't imagine not having it. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about how there's, how that kind of manifests itself differently in men and women. And mm-hmm. that was super interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think these are obviously stereotypes and there are gender stereotypes for specific reasons, right? A lot of men operate similarly. A lot of women operate similarly, but there might be crossover Mm -hmm. and there might be just because you're a man and you experience something that is not on that cycle. doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It's just that these are generally what's going on, but essentially within the idea is like that men kind of tend to become more they have this view that they should be independent and that they should be um, kind of on their own way. And so how it comes out is them kind of putting things on the women, them becoming kind of like, you need to figure this out or this is yours, or they find a way to distance themselves enough to where like the woman will attach. Whereas, so they kind of are making 
And this is part of addictive love. Addictive love. Like, so they, they are just as, they are just as. They are just as insecure, but their means is like, I shouldn't be insecure or needy. So I'm going to almost set it up so that you become insecure and needy for me. So that I, so that you are attached to me without me having to do much, but I'm still getting that attachment that I'm like, so that I need because I am afraid of you leaving. It's not that they're not afraid of you leaving. It's that I'm afraid of you leaving, but I can't, I shouldn't be. So I'm going to make sure that you don't leave from a different perspective and how it shows up for women a lot is obviously being like emotionally needy or insecure or looking for a lot, a lot of affirmation about things. Yeah. Okay. You gave a really good example. Um, we were talking about, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if like anyone's read this recently or watched the movies, but Twilight, yes. talking about Twilight, which by the way, you, we've both watched the movies and I definitely have read the books, but you were talking about Twilight and like, she's willing to, like, she's not okay without him mm-hmm. and she's willing to give up her entire everything mm-hmm. for him. And that's what you're talking about, right? Like, Absolutely. And that's what I think is hard with this is we've almost romanticized this idea of addictive love to the point of where it's like what we long for. And we think that there's something really romantic about it. And I guess in a perfect world, it would be romantic. But then you think about the fact that that's not a perfect world, right? There is, it's not a perfect world if I have to give up my family to be with a guy that I love, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a perfect world if I have to give up my friends and my life to be with someone that I love. And so, what gets hard is that we've romanticized this to be the idea of like, this is what love should be. Even Taylor Swift has a song right now called Don't Blame Me. Uh-huh. And it's like, don't blame me. Love made me crazy. If it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. Yeah. Um, and she calls like love her drug, right? Your love is my mm-hmm. drug. And I'll, and I love that song, but that's the message, right? Is that this should be the addictive love. Like you should, if you, if this doesn't drive you insane and if you are okay without this person, then you didn't even love them. And that's like, that's like the two things that came to my mind when you said that was like one a flash in the pan, mm-hmm. like you're a flash in the pan that it's like, that might be really exciting and really like captivating for a little while. But like afterwards, I feel like it would burn your house down, mm-hmm. you know, and it does. Totally. Right? I said two things came to mind. That was the only one I remembered. <laughs> So, Shan, something that you and I have talked a lot about is domestic violence and domestic abuse. And Mm -hmm. because when we're talking about controlling, when we're talking about, you know, unhealth control is a lot of like what comes out in that. Right. And, and what you were saying to me was that there's a lot that we, we have this idea of domestic violence and unhealthy relationships, like to, to that degree looking one way, but you were saying that there's a whole bunch of different, like kind of ways it shows up and different cycles and stuff like that. I, I'm totally beyond my depth here. So (laughs) truly like kind of give us a, give us a rundown. Like, what are we looking for here? What does this look like? Yeah. I mean, so we definitely have this picture of what domestic violence or even abuse in relationships looks like. We have this idea that it's like, well, he didn't hit me. So therefore it's not abuse, but realistically there's tons of different abuse and a lot of studies have shown that actually verbal and emotional abuse can be more damaging than physical abuse long-term like effects on people. Um, because if you think about it, like physical abuse, yes, it hurts you and it is not okay. But psychological abuse starts to make you question your value and your worth. And that sticks with you. That idea of like, I am not worthy sticks with you. So yeah, there's tons of different types of abuse. There's, you know, obviously physical abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's non-verbal or non-physical sexual abuse, non-physical abuse, Um, what's non-physical sexual abuse. So that could be anything. I mean, it comes down to any type of sexual harassment. It could come down to threats of, um, some sort of sexual behavior. It could come down to like, uh, things that you're uncomfortable with happening within a sexual relationship, like 
what they say or how they say it or how they speak to you about it. Yeah. Any of that kind of stuff. And realistically, that's kind of the essence of abuse is this situation where someone is trying to take power control over you, right? So they're trying to, if someone's saying those kinds of things, it might be a mean of power. It might be a means to make you scared or make you intimidated. There's lots of different ways that this can show up. But I think whenever I feel, and I might not even feel it, that's what's hard within this is I might not notice that's happening until I'm so far in. Yeah. But it really, that's what it comes down to. And even when we talked about that, taking you away from your friends and family, like that's control, Mm -hmm. right? Keeping you separated, keeping you segregated, making you more and more reliant upon them so that they have power. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how abuse works. And so there's essentially the cycle of violence because, you know, most of us would like to think if someone ever became abusive towards me in any way, shape or form, I'd get out, but it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, what happens is typically there's this honeymoon period. There's this period where things are really good, um, where they're charming, where they're treating us really well, where it's fun, where we really like them. And then as we get further and further into the relationship, then tension starts to build. Okay. Then things start to become a little more tense. You feel like you're walking on eggshells. You're not sure like what's going on. You're not sure what reaction you're going to get. And then there's always an, you know, not there's an explosion or a break where that could come out in a 10 different ways. It could be like a screaming match. It could be a physical alter- altercation. It could be a an, a psychological one, right? Like someone leaves for a day and doesn't come back. It could be lots of different ways that that explosion happens, but it's something that the person's doing to take power in the situation. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, when you said the thing about someone leaving and not coming back, like that, that is absolutely... Like, I feel like... I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but just like, oh, like, yeah, if someone just disappears on you, when mm-hmm. they come back, you're going to like, th- that is so jarring. That's so, that shakes you to your core. And and that's, they haven't even technically like quote unquote done anything to you. Totally. Like, but you it's know, a power move. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a move of like, you're just going to be so happy that I'm back that we're going to let this go mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, however they see it, but it totally is a power move. And then typically the honeymoon phase will start back over, right? So there's a lot of apologies or there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, we're going to make things right. I'll get you gifts or I'll be treat, be really sweet or kind. And then you go back to tension building. And so it's a cycle, right? Of, of constantly going through those three stages. And so it's easy to be on the outside and to be like, well, why wouldn't you just leave? But it's like those honeymoon stages are so beautiful and you fell in love with someone for a reason, right? Or you got into this relationship with someone for a reason that there are these redeeming qualities. Mm -hmm. There are these positive things, but then there's also these negative things that are very damaging. And if you think about how much of a disaster that is in your mind, right? Like you're always weighing these positives and these negatives, these positives and these negatives, and it makes you feel so torn. Yeah. Yeah. What do you like... Well, I want to get into like, what do you do? But one thing that you said, one one thing that you said that happens when we're in these negative situations is that because of, is like a lot of rationalizing, you Mm -hmm. know, because you do see those good things that like, we want to, we want to sweep the negative under the rug and we want to say, well, they were, you make excuses for it and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, take these things that are really unhealthy and, Mm -hmm. and act like they're okay because it allows us to, I think it maybe it quiets some of that back and forth a little bit in our minds. Absolutely. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I think sometimes like you know, some people don't know any better, right? If it, the only relationships I've ever seen are really unhealthy, then that's my expectation. It's like, oh, this is just love. Yeah. Love is chaotic. Love is 
up and down and intense and not. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be that way. Mm -mm. One phrase that you said that I had never heard before was gaslighting. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that a little? Yeah. So gaslighting is like a technique that a lot of times people can use in situations in which, um, and it might not be a, you know, it doesn't always have to be a conscious thing, but it's essentially when you're in the midst of anything happening or any type of conflict or thing that pops up, the person will spin it on you. So it's almost an, it's an, a, a technique used to make you feel like you're the problem. Mm-hmm. That if you have something going on or if there's an issue that really, that's your thing to work out, that really it's on you. You're just being crazy or just being this. And it's effective because then you feel crazy. If yeah. someone's gaslighting you, you're like, I feel like a crazy person. I feel like this is happening, but maybe it is me. Yeah. Maybe I am just being sensitive. Yeah. Maybe I am just being insecure. Maybe these things are happening. And so it's very effective because at the end of the day, how can we ever work on anything because I'm the problem? Yeah. Right. And so thank God I have you to put up with my crazy. Yeah. And that's another control technique, right? Another control technique. Who else would love you? Oof. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. 
Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, Shan, what do we, like, if some of these things are ringing true, like, so the things that we talked about, like, these aren't, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like, that piece of, it's First Corinthians 13, right, that everyone always reads during weddings about, like, love is patient. Is love it 13? Is kind, yeah, yeah, love is patient, love is kind, love... Mm. Come, on. Boast. Come on, seminary. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, not rude or condescending. Doesn't take. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. Yeah, and um, things like that. Like that. That verse to me feels like it's the opposite of all of this. Mm-hmm. And and that verse is so powerful. Like going through and looking at our relationships. And obviously, they're not going to be perfect, and that's okay because we're people and we're working on it. But I think if we have to be working on it, and there has to be like forward momentum. You know, and and you know, not someone promising to change and not changing, but someone promising to change and changing, you know, we're Mm -hmm. working on some of these things. One question I wanted to ask before we talk about like, okay, what do you do if these things are ringing true is I think that something we do as women is like, we have a lot of like sympathy and empathy and, and hope for people. Like a lot of times I think that we fall in love with people or stay in relationships because we see the potential of who they are or who they could be. Like, is that a, I don't know. I feel like we almost are like, like, I don't know, we're compassionate, like daters or, you know, something like that. You know, we just, we don't want to abandon someone who, who shows any sign of like hurting or, because a lot of times I think like when you're in an unhealthy relationship, that person is, is unhealthy maybe because of like we talked about earlier, like they have a terrible relationship with their parents or they've, they've been abused or something like that. So how is it not, how is it not cruel for us to walk away? Like, should we walk away? Should we stick out with them? Like, what do we, what do we do? And is it cruel for us to abandon someone that we love that's going through things? 
Yeah. Know? I mean, I think cruel is a very strong word. And I think that is, I think that's a, a word that we use a lot, right? Of like, how could I do this? I'm the only person that they have. Um, but I think it's, I think there's a point of like, why does that have to be my responsibility? Why does it have to be my responsibility to do the work if you're not going to do the work? But also like why, just because you need to do work and you want help doesn't mean I have to be the one to put up with everything because you have work to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had people in my life where I'm like, I really, really hope that you get the help that you need. And I really, really hope that you change and that things are better because I don't want you to live miserable, but I don't need to be the person to like stick around and see it. Yeah. Right. I don't have to be the person that continues to get damaged on your quest for health. Mm -hmm. Um, and people that I've had in my life that like, I, I think have gotten healthy and have changed and have fixed things. And it still is like, that's great, you know? And I hope that that impacts your future relationships. Yeah. But I always get concerned when someone's like, they have so much potential because potential is a great thing. And, but I think everyone has potential, right? Every single human being alive, no person is all good or all bad, maybe with a few exceptions, but for the most part, none of us are all good or all bad. We all are some combination of both. And so we all have potential, Yeah. but having potential doesn't mean you're going to do anything with it. Yeah. So having potential for good doesn't mean that I will be good. Having potential to be really caring and loving doesn't mean I will be. And so what I always think of is ask yourself, if this person never changes, would I be okay with who they are? Would I be okay being married to this person if nothing changed? Because then you get down to those like, yeah, we're all flawed and we all make mistakes, but are they mistakes that I can live with? Or are they mistakes that are going to be damaging to me? I think that it's really funny because my dad has given me that exact same advice. <laughs> those exact same words. Um, um, well, I think it's like, cause if you're dating someone for the potential of who they are, that's all you're dating. You're dating the potential of them. You're not dating them. And you're, and you could spend the rest of your life being really disappointed. Absolutely. And, and also like when we were talking about this this morning, we were talking about it with our best friend, Michelle, who's mm -hmm. pregnant, mm -hmm. um, and Kelsey's pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we just have had, we have a sweet little baby here. We, it's like, we have just the so fullest fun. house this week. But when we were talking about it with Michelle, like the future is way more in our faces. I think these days, you know, watching our friends like expand mm -hmm. their families and have kids and stuff, because who you're choosing to marry is who your kid's dad is going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's, so you're not just choosing this for yourself. It's like, is that who I want to be parenting my kids? Is that mm -hmm. who I want to be like, do, do I want this to be my child's story also? Mm -hmm. Um, and so they're just, they're all these, like, I mean, it's not just, it doesn't just affect your life. It affects your, you know, any future kids or something that you bring into the picture, you know? Absolutely. When I think like, yeah, I mean, it affects everyone. It affects your life. It affects everyone around you. And yeah, who you want to be their dad? Who do you want to be your partner? Who do you For want the to be there your when your life? kids leave? Yeah. Because I think sometimes people's excuse is, well, he's a good dad. And it's like, that's true. He might be a good dad, but is he a good partner is yeah. also another question to be asking yourself. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I'll share a little bit that this isn't coming from a place of someone who's like, Oh, I had all of these horrible relationships and then it worked out, you know? And then I found the one, like I'm the only single person here with our group of friends. And I think that there's still this part of me that's like, no matter what there's, I would rather be the single person around a bunch of people that I love that are good to me than to be here and miserable with the wrong person or to be not here because I married someone who doesn't want me to have my friends. I can start crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this quote from church that you and I have gone to back home. Um, and, and the pastor says, it's better to be single and wanting to be married than to be married, wanting to be single. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we, you know, it, 
the pressure to get married can feel so heavy sometimes. And, you know, to, to find somebody, and especially if someone, you know, you find someone who's really charming and they have this really dark side, but they are really charming. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think it can feel like someone's better than no one, but like spending your whole, like you can feel being married doesn't mean you're not lonely. And if you marry someone who doesn't treat you well, you're going to have, you're going to be way more lonely than you would being single. Absolutely. And it's like, I mean, you pick your lonely, right? Because I, I'm not married at this time, but I don't feel like I'm lonely. Like I have good people in my life. I have a good family. I have good friends and yeah, like, of course I would like to get married someday, but that's not like, not at the expense of, of those emotions. Yeah. And of, and of your safety and of your Absolutely. emotional safety. And, um, one thing that, um, yeah, or hating my life. Yeah. Um, and who you attach yourself to is a really big deal. Like Absolutely. it's like getting a tattoo on your forehead. Like you see, you see it every day. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it is. <laughs> I mean, I guess unless you, there are some flaws in that example, unless you I don't want look you in to the get mirror. Carl tattooed <laughs> backwards so you can see it in the mirror. Totally. Yep. He would love that. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that kind of came to mind and I've, this is like way part of my story. Um, I've been in relationships where, you know, we were like experiencing problems. And so we broke up, then we missed each other. So three days later we would mm-hmm. call each other and get back together. And, you know, I mean, it just, we were having the hardest time pulling ourselves apart from each other. And the thing I think that we forget is that things might need to change in that person. And maybe, maybe someday with enough time and space and healing, intentional healing on both your parts, you could have another chance that won't happen in three days. Mm -hmm. That cannot happen in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Like these monumental fundamental parts of you or that person that need to change, that's not going to happen overnight. And so like, so, so yes, I mean, I think that our hope is that like maybe someday, you know, and we're not talking about like violent, abusive relationships or anything, but just in relationships that aren't necessarily healthy or the best or something like, you know, we're hoping that maybe they might work out and, and that's not out of the realm of possibility, I think, but, but those things don't change overnight. And and that person that you want to change and heal, like that takes work and time and intentionality and space and help and all these different things. And it just doesn't happen overnight. And, and so with someone like walking away and apologizing, like that's not that cycle, that's not enough time for any things. It's not people aren't for something to change. Yeah. It's not enough time for something to, to change. I think sometimes too, we like avoid changing because there's this, you know, we might not admit it, but there's this fear that if I change, like we no longer fit together. Right. So if I get healthy or you get healthy, then, you know, when you talk about that, that like addictive love, that's that, right. Is I want to get healthy and I want things to change, but what if we change and we no longer, we like realize we're not a fit. Yeah. And so we'll almost take unhealth as long as I get to be with you over health and being yeah. without you. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, as you, as you and I were talking about this, we were saying like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like this isn't the mm-hmm. only person who's ever going to love you. And I think it feels that way sometimes. And they might have said that, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and also it may feel like life without this person feels impossible. Like even the logistics of it, like if you have kids or like, I mean, put like figuring out how to do some of the things that maybe your spouse or your boyfriend or something does like that can feel really difficult and daunting and stuff. But those are, those are things that can be, those are obstacles that can be climbed. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we like, I always think about if you do, <laughs> Do you guys remember, if you remember playing tag as a kid mm-hmm. or like where you had bases, you know, where you yep. were safe. I always imagine like a lot of times we're like keeping our hand on the safe base mm-hmm. so that we like trying to reach to the other one mm-hmm. to ensure that there's like a smooth handoff, right? Like there's no point for me to like be left in between them. Yeah. So we're kind of like stuck on this relationship until we're like, well, if someone up better came along, then I would be with them. Right. But for yeah. now I have this safety net. 
and that might not be even we're in a relationship, but it's like, we still talk or we're still doing this, but I yeah. keep myself connected to this relationship as my safety so that I can ensure I get to the next one. Okay. And that's not how that works, right? Like you're, you can't reach both. Yeah. They're not that close. And so I have to let go of one. I have to let go of this space in order to get to the next one. And it's, that's scary and that's hard. But ultimately at the end of the day, if you're in a bad, unhealthy relationship, you're taking up space where someone who is going to treat you well could be. Yeah. And you're not open to it. You're not available for it. There's only one spot for that in your life. Yeah. It's taken. It's occupied. It's taken. It's occupied. Your mental space is occupied and you're not. And if I'm staying with this unhealthy relationship and continuing to get the cycle over and over and over again, the right guy comes along. I'm not healthy enough to have him. Yeah. To be there with him. And like, you know, breakups are, and, and heartbreak is so, in, so frustratingly intangible. Like you can't put a cast on it. You can't have surgery on it. Like you can't take pain meds for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just, it, it hurts and it takes forever to heal. Mm-hmm. But I think I've always thought about it like a physical ailment because it's easier to just process that way. Mm-hmm. Like if this person is, is cutting you constantly, mm-hmm. w- whether physically or emotionally, or just the pain of like, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up or whatever, the longer you're with that person, that cut is going to be reopened and reopened mm-hmm. and reopened. And like the thing that you need to be able to heal is to not be continuing to be wounded. Mm-hmm. And so you can't even find healing, let alone another relationship while you're still being cut open by totally. this person. So Shan, if, if someone is thinking like one, I might be in an unhealthy relationship and I'm not sure how to figure it out, or mm-hmm. I'm for sure in an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> like, what do I, what do they do? What yeah. do we do? I mean, I think my biggest thing would be if you either think or you know, but you don't know what to do, find someone to talk to. That could be a counselor. Um, obviously I'm a big advocate of counseling as someone who is a counselor and who does my own counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate of just the, having an unbiased party who can speak into your life and who can be there and not, they're not going to, what you do doesn't affect their life. Yeah. And both, and that, and that sounds a little callous, but it's a good thing, right? Having someone where I can just be hundred percent open. What I share can't go anywhere else, mm-hmm. but also like you have no vested interest in what I do other than for me to be healthier. Yeah. That's your only interest. You're on my team. You're on you my have no team. skin in the game in my life. Like you're mm-hmm. not his cousin or something like that. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. Yeah. And so I would say that's one, I would say if you counseling is expensive, if you can't afford counseling or you don't know where to go, I mean, I would try to look up like nonprofits. There's a domestic violence hotline. There's a lot of like walk-in centers you could go to and just find someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, you could Google domestic violence help in the city you live in and yeah. there will be plenty of places and plenty of things to try. And domestic violence, like something that you said is you can be convicted of domestic violence if you break someone's stuff or Mm -hmm. prevent them from leaving, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do not need to be physically struck Mm -mm. in order to be able to go to a place like this. Like if someone is intimidating you or like, or you were feeling unsafe in any way, whether or not you have actually been physically harmed, you you can go to these places. Yes. And I think even if you're, I mean, even if you're questioning whether or not you're a victim of domestic violence, you can go to these places. Yeah. I think another place to go would be like a local church or the church that you go to find someone there who works there. And if they don't, they might not be a counselor. They might not have, they might not be able to like be the person to help you through it, but they'll have resources for you Mm -hmm. or places to go. Um, so I think any of those are good things. I mean, support groups. Yeah. And I mean, really there's a lot of places and what's hard is you feel so alone. And I think there's a lot of shame behind being in unhealthy relationships. And the reality is, is a, almost all of us have been in them, Yeah. but B, like 
there will be so many other people that are experiencing similar things to you and you are not alone and you're not crazy and you're not bad. You shouldn't have known better. You don't know until you know. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, you're not alone in this. You didn't cause this. Yes. And you don't have to get through it alone. No. And just because you are stuck in it doesn't mean you have to be stuck in it forever. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could talk about this for a million years. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Well, oh, one thing you said that I really wanted to make sure to say was as you're thinking about reaching out to someone, like if you, um, you know, if you're engaged and you're thinking about getting married, premarital counseling is something that like, I'm a huge fan of. We did it. You're a huge fan of it. Like, I, I, I mean, everyone I know and love, everyone we know and love is like, has been in premarital counseling, does premarital counseling, like yeah. is a fan of it. Like that's a huge, that's a really normal thing for you to do on the way to getting married. Um, and so if you're in a relationship, like inviting another couple or a pastor or a counselor into your marriage on the way is a really, really smart, healthy thing to do. Um, and so that can, they can kind of counsel you, guide you a little bit, kind of help you take a look at things. And I would find, I would recommend to finding someone unbiased. So like, don't use like his count his, I think there's benefit to having like his pastor do part of your premarital counseling in terms of like, you know, like if you want someone to be like your spiritual guide or to do that kind of stuff. But I think there's a lot of benefit too in finding an unbiased party mm-hmm. to bring in some level of like, uh, mm-hmm. that they, they can just point out things and discuss things and identify things where they're not trying to like protect anyone. And yeah. we do that intentionally, right? Like if I were to be like your counselor, I would like, I have bias, yeah. right? I would not be a good counselor because I am very, very biased towards you. Yeah. Yeah. So finding someone who's not biased and who's not involved to do at least part of it. Yeah. I think is very important. And so like, that's something you can do together. It's also counseling is also something that you can absolutely do on your own. And like, we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast. Like I'm a huge fan of counseling. Mm -hmm. Like I go every Thursday. Um, (laughs) And so I'm a huge fan of counseling, but something you said that was really powerful and it goes back to the isolating thing as you said, if the person you're with is discouraging you from trying to talk to somebody or sharing parts of your relationship with someone or going to seek help, like that is a huge red flag, right? Yes, absolutely. I think if they like don't want you to talk about all of your relationship problems, like with your guys' best friends, understandable. (laughs) That's fair. fair. You don't need to be like, and guess what he did and guess what happened here. But if they really don't want you to talk to anyone about about what's going on in your life or about the concerns that you have or the things that are happening or the struggles that you guys are having. If they are not comfortable with you doing that outside of them, then that should be a warning sign, right? That they don't want you to get healthy. They don't want that. Something is so wrong in your relationship that they don't want anyone else to know. Yeah. Yeah. So Shan, I want to ask our last three questions that we normally do on the podcast, but before, before we do, I wanted to just ask like, what last minute thoughts do you have for, for anyone who's who might be in this situation or just for everyone who's listening, like any last kind of encouragement about relationships for us? Yeah. I mean, I think if you are thinking about like maybe unhealthy relationships, I think the biggest thing I would always say to someone is you will never do anything that deserves someone to treat you poorly. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's nothing you can do that, that therefore justifies someone treating you poorly, verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Like you cannot, you don't deserve it. It's not like a good retribution for, because you made a mistake. That is not a healthy way to behave. And I think it's realizing like, I'm not alone. I did not deserve this. I'm worthy of being treated better. Mm -hmm. Even if I can't see it or they can't see it right now, like that is truth. You are loved and you are worthy of love and Mm -hmm. you are worthy of kindness and respect and Mm -hmm. pursuit and, and 
gentleness and and that is an inherent worth not something that i gain or lose that is mm-hmm. something that i just have as being a human being i am worthy of love and respect and dignity mm-hmm. that's really good i forgot that we were we totally didn't answer or even i want to circle back around to our original question what do you do if your friend is in an unhealthy relationship i, I think that's a trickier question to answer I think if your friend is in an abusive relationship, then someone needs to intervene. I don't know that it has to be you, but I think if you are worried about a friend being in an abusive relationship, like that is a piece of it. I think you always have to ask, is it my, is it my dislike of this person or is it actually an unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. discerning between those two things? Cause you can't like your friend's husband not being your favorite person in the world is not that's that could have that just happens. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's them treating your friend in a way that's concerning, not Absolutely. like preference. It's concerning, concerning. And I think, uh, you go, I think you have to weigh the pros and cons because I think that there's a lot of reality. If you have a conversation with someone about concerns that they might distance themselves or they might push you away. But I think if you really have concerns about someone that might be worth it. And that yeah. might be a point of, you know, like what can I live with more? Yeah. I feel like maybe that might be something, you know, because the details are probably, the details will be different in every situation. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, that's something for, if you have a friend who's in that situation, that's something for you to talk to your counselor or your mentor or Absolutely. your pastor or someone about. And I think you can, I think part of it's like asking, you know, having them examine their own relationship. Right. So like, you know, asking some of those questions that we asked you to think about for yourself, asking them, like, what do you like? What do you dislike? What do you, how do you feel about yourself when you're with them? How do they treat other people in their life? What's their relationships like? Yeah. You know, have them start to think about it that way. It's helping them identify things that are maybe not great. Yeah. As opposed to you being like, I don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, it's hard to know. It's hard to realize that there's only so much we can do. Like, And there really is, you know, there's only everyone, each person is responsible for their own life and their own decisions. And, Mm -hmm. um, we can absolutely be there and help and, and speak up if that's what you feel like you need to do. Or if you're worried that their safety is in in jeopardy, like speak up. But I think like, even if you, I think being for them, being there for them anyway, like if they decide to marry someone you don't like, or someone that you're concerned about, like don't distance yourself from them, like still be there for them because there may be a day when they need to like have a safe place to go and you can be that place. I was just thinking that same thing. I think the mistake that a lot of people do is like you marry someone abusive and it's like, well, I told you so. Or like, well, I, you know, like then this is your issue to figure out. And it is their issue to figure out, but that doesn't mean that just because they didn't listen to you in that moment means that therefore like you should let them do their own thing. Yeah. And it's like, you can still be a part supportive of someone who is making bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay. Shan, last minute questions. Um, tell me what God is teaching you these days. I think, um, one of the biggest things that I'm learning right now is that I, um, that I get to choose the things in my life that like define myself and define how I view God and define my faith. Because I think for a lot of time, especially like being in the field that I'm in, there's like a lot of just hard things to watch that I don't, I can't make sense of. Like, I can't make sense of why some people have the families that they make, they do, or why they have, you know, like, I mean, addiction's a pretty like dark thing and not because the people I love the people that I work with, but it's just an imprisonment. Mm -hmm. And so it gets really hard to try to like make sense of good things versus bad things in the world. Um, and then as you experience different things in life, different relationships, different things. And so I think the biggest thing God is teaching me is just like, 
you're going to have both good and bad things in your life. And there are going to be both good and bad things done in my name. There's going to be good and bad things done for a lot of reasons, but you have power to choose which ones define you. And for a long time, I let like negative ones define me, but I've like recently just been like, okay, I've had great Christian friends and bad Christian friends. And why am I letting the bad Christian friends like make me question my faith when I have Mm -hmm. these amazing people who love Jesus and are a really positive thing for me. And Mm -hmm. so like starting to shift my focus to be like, no, those are the things that define me. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to cry a lot after this. (laughs) Um, Okay. Tell me something that you are loving these days. Something I am loving these days. Oh, I have been obsessed with unmasking a killer. (laughs) It is a documentary. It's like a five episode documentary about this man, this is going to be dark, but this like serial killer that they couldn't find in California forever. And they just caught him a week ago because of the show. What? Yeah. They just caught him last week. (laughs) Oh my my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. But it was like, I started watching it like right before they caught him. And I was like, Oh my, cause they couldn't find him for like years. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm obsessed. I feel like everyone who's listening like fits into one of two camps. Like one of them is like, oh my gosh, I've seen every single one. And I listen to all of the like true crime podcasts and the other, <laughs> rest, the ones, the other ones of us are like, I watch Disney movies and like chick flicks and I just don't like any of that stuff. And I totally fall into that camp, but I also love a lot of people who are like, oh, I've totally seen that. <laughs> um, okay. I think I, I like more like, um, it like creep. I like can't watch it at like I have to watch it at like nine a.m. <laughs> you have the whole day to let it wear out. Yeah, and like yeah. I like make sure all my doors are locked before I start watching it. Yeah, I get very paranoid. But there's something about it that's like just fascinating to me. That's like how have we not like caught this guy? Yeah, yeah. So oh my gosh. All right. Tell me last but not least, who is a woman that's been inspiring you lately? I mean, I have a few, but the person that I just feel like is my ultimate girl crush and always inspires me is Brene Brown. Mm, Amen. And she is, if you do not know of her work or follow her, you need to immediately because she is, she does a ton of work around shame and vulnerability. And she is like one of the most relatable. I feel like she's my friend, Mm -hmm. but she's not. Yeah. But anyone who... Like we call her Brene. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. BB is what I call her. but she is just so wise and she talks a lot about like value and worth and vulnerability and shame. And, and then she has really concrete ways of like teaching us about things. And so I just think she's amazing and has helped me figure out a lot of my own, like value, worth, shame, all of that stuff. Mm, so good. Brene Brown, Shannon, this, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having I, me. This isn't so good. You are so wise and wonderful. And I, my life is so much better because you're in it. And, um, I'm so glad that we got to capture your wisdom and share it with the girls. Cause I know <laughs> this is a really hard topic, but thank you for talking to us about it. And, yeah. And just, I just love you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Guys, isn't Shannon amazing? I am so glad y'all got to meet her. Don't forget that you can always find the links from the show as well as all of Shannon's info over on our show notes. Just go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. Friends, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. Your app will just automatically download the next episode once a new one comes out. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. 
So many of you have left such sweet reviews already, and I wanted to take just a quick second to read you one of my favorites. This one's from Abby. She says, just as intended, this podcast truly does feel like you're sitting in the living room alongside these women, eating pizza and chatting it up. But what I appreciate the most is that they haven't forgotten past life stages. They're able to talk about things that women experience as though they happened to them just yesterday, while still showing some light to whoever might currently be in the dark. Abby, thank you so much for listening, friend. I am so happy to have you here. And thank you to all of you who have left such beautiful reviews. They mean the world to me. Okay, friends, that is all we have for today's episode, but I will see you next week for another episode of Girls' Night. Can't wait.